Um, Cole did an excellent job explaining kind of some of the broad things we're going to do this morning. If you're, f- if you're new to Frontier um, or if, you're, if you've been hanging around here for a while, um, this sermon is going to feel a little bit different um, in that if you're looking for every one of those goofy verses to us, weird verses um, to be explained, this is going to be a letdown. But if you want to see the broad um, theme of that section of verses, um, sort of uh, getting us drilling down on that theme, um, then this will be the sermon that will help you with that. Because I believe that when we look at the book of Exodus, uh, we, we have a big story that we're seeing. And this story, the themes of the story of Exodus show up all over the Bible. Um, they show up all over the New Testament. And so think of Exodus as a, a sort of storyline or a storyboard. The New Testament borrows from that storyline all of the time. And so the theme of the law is incredibly important to understand from a story perspective um, because it plays a, a really big role. So this morning we're going to do like 30,000 feet in the air um, and hopefully give you a good sense for the beauty of the law. Uh, and then hopefully throughout the week we can, we can answer questions and we can talk with you about, you know, there's tons of blogs and tons of resources on how you can interpret each of these individual laws. We just don't have time to be a commentary this morning. So would you join me in praying um, as we look at what God has to say to us? Um, Heavenly Father, we know you're good and the law reveals your character. And so I pray this morning that you would show yourself to us through verses that I think oftentimes we as believers run from. Um, They scare us a little bit. And so God, I pray that you would Show us your character and and your love through the law. Um, And so, God, help us. We need your spirit to help understand anything in this Bible. And so we need you to speak to us through the law. So would you help us? And would you help me to say things that honor you? So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, October 1st marked the 70-year anniversary of when the Chinese Communist Party leader, Chairman Mao, declared the rule and the reign of the People's Republic of China. And standing at Tiananmen Square, which is also known to the Chinese as the Gates of Heavenly Peace, Mao declared his reign over the Chinese people. And by means of brutal civil war fought over class struggles and competing, competing visions for the good life, Mao changed Chinese society. His rule changed the way they lived their life. He, he instituted reforms so radical that it led to the death of over 40 million human beings. And so the irony is that at the gate of heavenly peace, Mao brought his people to the threshold of revolution, and his reign, it changed everything for them. And so as we return to the story of Exodus this morning, what we find is that we also are looking at a people standing at the threshold of revolution. They're at the gate of heavenly peace uh, of sorts, and, is, and it's being opened at Sinai, and the Israelites are being invited to walk through it, to have their whole lives changed. And this is where King Yahweh has descended and declared that he is here, he is present, and that his reign changes everything, literally everything. And as a king, Yahweh is standing, he's, he's standing poised to pronounce a whole new world order, a whole order. And so Yahweh's vision for the, the good life and the life of his kingdom is unashamedly utopian. I want us to see that in the text this morning. 
God has a vision for Israelite society that is just, that is fair, that is loving, that is equitable. But unlike Mao and unlike any other ruler that has tried to institute utopia through their reign, Yahweh really is the people's king. So instead of oppressing the Israelites, Yahweh saves them from oppression. And instead of establishing a brutally repressive regime, Yahweh provides a pathway to freedom, a pathway to flourishing. And so what we see God doing in this story is is what human leaders have been trying to do and failing at. Not just Eastern leaders, not just Middle Eastern leaders, but Western leaders as well. All humans who have tried to lead us into utopia have failed. And because they've failed at the fundamental thing, which we find in Exodus, which is to provide people with real flourishing through liberation, real salvation. So real salvation, and then to be put on a path of vocation. To be put on a path of purpose and a meaningful life. And so this is what God is declaring at Sinai. I want you to see that at, at, the, at the mountain, God is declaring that he has saved his people and that he has put him on a path of a purposeful and meaningful life. So before you can, before I believe we can get a sense of this, is I think we need to be reminded of Exodus um, 19. I think we're going to put that on the screen. Yep. So Exodus 19, God, we got a couple sentences here that God utters to his people that we have to see the law in light of these two sentences. If we don't, then none of it's going to make sense. And that is, let's see here, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, that's a big therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And so not only, not only is Israel liberated from oppression, they are given a vocation. That's the, kind of the big theme this morning, is that we see a big theme emerge in the story, that not only is Israel saved from Egypt, saved from hell and a hellish life, they are given an identity of purpose, a vocational identity. And so Yahweh is forming them into a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's their identity. Kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So that's their new vocation. But before they can live into that identity, they need a a practical way to live that out. They need a rule of order to live by. And so this is why God gives them the law. It functions as a terms and agreement if you will, um, but not the kind of terms and agreement that, you know, if you download programs on the internet, you just kind of click through. Um, by the way, I heard someone told me that, <laughs> I don't know if this is true, but someone told me that some of those terms and agreements, those companies, they'll put in like, if you're reading this, call this number, and you'll get like a thousand bucks. Because it's like 30 pages of stuff. Nobody reads those things. So, anyways, we need to read this. So the, the Israelites... couldn't click through this because this is massively important. It changes their whole way of life. So seen in this way, the law can be understood as a vocational covenant. And real quick, to define the word covenant, um, covenant is not like a contract. So it's not like the terms and agreement that you click through. A covenant is like a marriage, right, Um, where there's a solemn agreement between two parties 
and it's marked by big promises, huge promises. So it's not a rental agreement. It's more like a marriage. And so the covenant is, this is why we read as a reminder, Exodus 19, 4 through 6, because that's God's promise to his people. It's the covenant that he's making with Moses and his people at Sinai. And so what it does is it defines and it gives shape to what life is like in Yahweh's kingdom. So, for example, uh, verses 22 through 26 of that first section uh, guides how we should worship, which is to be expected, right? This is a theological document talking about God here. That's to be expected. But there's also laws outlining slaves and sojourners and how they should be treated. There's also guidance on civil disputes over accidental deaths, uh, stuff about livestock falling into pits. Uh, There's also a heavy emphasis on the just treatment of the poor. There's also talk about not financially oppressing one another. And so the vocational covenant functions um, in a similar way to our American Constitution or Bill of Rights, Regardless of what you believe about the founders or whether their intentions were pure or whatever, the American Constitution and Bill of Rights um, is, a, is a framework that there is an implicit understanding of what it means to be a human being, what it means to be free, and what it means to pursue the good life. And so those things um, are meant to provide what the law is providing the people, which is a vocational identity so that they can go and live in a flourishing society. But there's some obvious differences, right? Some real obvious differences. There's some goofy stuff in the law that we just read that we, we don't really know what to do with. There's, in verse 21, 6, um, boring slaves' ears with an awl. Uh, that's kind of weird. 21, 17, whoever curses his father and mother shall be put to death. I know we have kids in here that have cursed their father and mother. And I don't think we're going to be putting them to death. Or 22, 25, the money lenders shouldn't charge interest. I mean, everybody in here, I'm sure, has some sort of loan out. Unless you've Dave Ramsey'd that sucker and you have no debt. <laughs> I'm sure you have a loan. And I'm sure somebody that's lent you money along the way has uh, professed Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So there's some weird stuff here. And so what do we do with this as modern God worshipers, right? What do we do with this stuff? And so what I want you to see is that there's something, there's something bigger and more fundamental here. Something that applies directly to you. Uh, what I want for you What I don't want for you this morning is for you to go, yeah, that's some goofy stuff in there. It doesn't apply to me. Let's get back to Jesus and and onward to other things in the scriptures. What I want you to see is a big picture of the law and see how it does directly apply to your life right now. And so that's that's my main aim. Before you can see this, I believe believe you really have to capture um, an appreciation for the larger storyline of the Bible, specifically the storyline of the Old Testament. Because... The law at Sinai, uh, that covenant that God has just given to Moses, that can be traced. There's a theme that can be traced from Sinai to Abraham and Abraham to Noah and Noah to Adam. And there's a thread. There's a, there's a main point in the story. The promises God has been making his people through these folks. The main point is that God promises to redeem and rebuild what has been lost in the garden. The communion with God and a flourishing society. So God is promising to put the pieces back together. Uh, last week, Cole preached on the inability of the law, like the Ten Commandments. There's moral um, requirements of the law, and, and Jesus makes clear in the New Testament that you fail at that. So what I'm not saying is that you don't fail at that. But what I want to preach this morning is that in light of salvation, we have a commitment 
this way. We have a vertical relationship with God through God's grace. God has saved us. And that now we are to live a life with purpose. That is the idea of vocation. So this, this is centered on vocation, and I want you to see that in the law. Because God's promise to his people is that he will, he not only saves them, but he's promising to reconstitute humanity. He's reconstituting humanity. And he's doing this through the community of faith. He's doing this through the people of God. And so this reconstituted people is meant to be a light to the nations. This is what Isaiah says uh, when he speaks the word of the Lord, when he says that I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. So that's the same thing as Abraham, um, when God promised to Abraham that he was going to be a people and be blessed so that he could go be a blessing. That's the fundamental, fundamental nature of God's people to the world is that God blesses them so that they can go be a blessing to the world. And this is also why King Jesus declared that the church is a light to the world and a city on a hill. It's the same story. It's the same storyline found throughout. So Israel at the mountain is receiving a sort of rules of order that tell them how to live in, as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is to be, it's, they're, they're to be a light to the nations and to demonstrate what a truly flourishing society looks like, what a truly free society looks like, a truly joyful society looks like. So this is God's kingdom breaking through into the world. That's what I want us to see this morning, the theme of God's kingdom breaking through. And this theme of salvation, the storyline of salvation to vocation, also carries right over to the teaching of Jesus. And this is what, um, let's put this on the screen, 1 Peter 2.9. 1 Peter 2.9 reasserts the vocational identity of God's people. Um, he says, take a look, look at this. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that's the exact same language. He's literally quoting. He's literally bringing you back to the mountain and saying, this is also your identity. So Peter writing to the community of Jesus followers is saying, you have the same vocational identity as the Israelites on the mountain. That's a significant piece to understanding the law. You have to understand this. Um, and so th this should beg the question, if we have the same vocational identity, if we have the same purpose, then do the rules also apply to us? Do we have the same rules of order? The answer is yes, but. And I want to show a little bit of, the, of um, the caveat here. So without, uh, let me caveat this. With, I could preach an entire sermon. Uh, I don't know if it would be any good. It would be more like a lecture. Um, on the individual laws and how they can be categorized. Um, scholars and theologians have different terms for the different categorizations of the law. So like certain individual laws fit into um, one of three buckets commonly called, um, one bucket is the ceremonial laws, bucket two would be the judicial laws, and bucket number three would be uh, the moral laws. And so right away we get a sense for, there's some, some of these laws seem to apply to me, but some of these laws don't seem to apply to me. And so the ceremonial, what I want you to see is that like, for example, the ceremonial laws would be uh, the first section Colred, which is Laws guiding rituals and worship and things that you would expect to find in the Old Testament. 
like animals getting killed on the altar, things like that. Well, we don't do that. Um, fortunately for everyone in here, we're not killing animals in Noche. Um, why is that? Well, that's a whole other sermon, but Christ basically, all of that stuff points to Christ, is fulfilled in Christ, and so when we follow Jesus, we don't need to kill animals. So we don't follow the ceremonial laws um, to the letter. Judicial laws. Now, the judicial laws, the interesting thing about the judicial laws is that you have to appreciate that they lived in a uh, theocracy, that the Israelite society had a legislative branch, a Supreme Court, and an executive branch that was all um, occupied by God. All of it was God. And so he, that's why he's detailing like, hey, if your donkey falls into your neighbor's uh, hole, you're going to have to go pay him some money. Uh, he had to like tell that to people. So we no longer have God functioning as our president. All that would be awesome. We don't, <laughs> we don't have that. Uh, and so we're not following the judicial laws because that's specific to their cultural context. But the third bucket, which is the moral laws, the moral laws are like the obvious stuff where you're like, don't kill your neighbor um, or don't so love your neighbor. Yeah, that's what's implied in that. Don't kill anybody. Um, <laughs> love your neighbor. Um, don't steal, that kind of stuff. And uh, those laws apply directly to you. You read, the, you read the Old Testament and moral laws, and you're like, yep, that's a pretty good idea. You don't even have to be a Christian to appreciate those laws. But one thing should become clear is that the other laws that seem weird have a moral dimension to them. They're not just random things spoken about a culture. There, there's a dimension of morality that is, that is in there. There's a, to put it this way, there is a law behind the law. There is a bigger, more fundamental reality that is guiding, and guiding the um, articulation of the law. And so how should we think about that? Ask yourself that. How should, we, how should we think about that? So what should be clear is that, what should be clear about the law is if it does apply to us and it is significant to us, it's not actually about the exact letter of the law, right? I mean, you guys don't have donkeys. So <laughs> there's something about the law that we want you to see more of the main point. And so there's a pattern in Scripture that reinforces this. There's a pattern in Scripture where God gives rules, and this is from Genesis onward. God gives rules. People break rules. God gives more rules. People break those rules, and on and on and on, and it compounds on itself, and you're like, what is going on here? And it, it, it drives you mad. Like, it's going to drive you mad if you try to figure out what laws I need to follow and what I don't need to follow, and like, what, what's going on here? Why is there 600 and some odd laws in the Old Testament? Like, this is goofy. I don't know how to think through that, and so that's why we need Jesus to sort it out. We have to look to Jesus. As the community of Jesus followers, we have to look to Jesus to sort out the law. And, and see its main point and how it does impact us. And so Jesus didn't come to just throw the law away. That's, I think that's tendency number one as Christians, is that we, we come to a text that talks about the law in the Old Testament, and we're like, gone. I follow Jesus. It's gone. But rather, he declares that the law does apply to you. He says this because he is the fulfillment of the law. In Matthew, he says, I didn't come to get rid of it. I came to fulfill it. So how does that apply to us? He's fulfilling the demands of the law. He fulfilled the demands of the law in the Gospels. Um, and so he got at the heart of the law when he said, the Lord your God, or love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. So love God with all your being, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, this sums up the law and the prophets. So that's a significant piece as Jesus followers to see. And so right here, 
this is, this is the backbone that runs up the, um, runs up the law. The law is, is given coherence and structure by this command of Jesus, to love God with all your heart, all your being, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so Paul picks this up. What's fascinating is that Paul picks this up in Romans 13, 8 through 10. So I want to read that real quick. We're going to put that on the screen. Um, Romans 13, 8 through 10. Paul's commenting on this, and he says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. Oh, I'm the guy who hits the... There's always somebody There's always somebody doing this. Usually it's you, Chris. <laughs> I'm just saying. So he says, Owe <laughs> oh, no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So the entire moral dimension of the law is summed up in the rule of love. That's what Jesus is saying and that's what Paul is saying. To love your neighbor as yourself is to follow the law. What this means is that your purpose in life is to live into your vocational identity by loving your neighbor as yourself. In light of Jesus being king, you live out your vocation. So your purpose in life, you're living this out through the love of neighbor as yourself. So the community of Jesus followers living this way, this is how you're a light to the nations. This is how, so people, when they look at the church, they shouldn't primarily see a bunch of law followers. What they should see is a community committed to the way of Jesus by loving, loving your neighbor as yourself. That's the sort of big theological idea. That's the big story idea. And that is how we are set on a city, or the city on a hill, a light to the world. Christians living the way of love demonstrates that God is reconstituting humanity, that he's not just saving your private souls from hell and putting them into heaven someday, that he's actually reconstituting humanity and, and reasserting his original intention to make a flourishing society, one that he's present in. And so the world yearns for this, right? Anyone who's felt oppressed yearns for this. The poor yearn for this. The slaves yearn for this. The lonely yearn for this. All creation groans for this, waiting for the revealing of God's redeemed and reconstituted humanity. So seeing your vocation this way, it changes everything. It's got to change literally everything about the way you live your life. God is not simply concerned with cultivating private devotion, though he is concerned with that. That is not the only thing he's concerned with. He's not only concerned with your prayer closet. He's not even just concerned with what happens within the walls of this building as we worship Jesus. That's not his only concern. If Jesus is your Lord, you have his vocation. You have his purposeful way of living your life here and now, which is to be a community of love that blesses the world. So everything we touch should reveal the reign and rule of Jesus. Because King Jesus, just like King Yahweh, is reigning and ruling over your life. So our community should be a place of love, justice, equity, and fairness. So to be a kingdom of priests is to bring the presence of God to the world, 
we're bringing God and his kingdom here. That's, that's what the law is saying, that that's how people see you as a city on a hill. That's how people see you as a light to the nations. And so I recently read this book. Um, it's not a Christian book, but it's a good book. It's called The Palaces for the People. And um, it's written by this guy where the subtitle is How Social Infrastructure Can Help Fight Inequality, Polarization, and the Decline of Civic Life. And the main point of the book is that he's looking at places like um, public libraries, parks, sidewalks, things that we physically build for our cities and communities. And he's saying, what's different about these places? They're valuable to society. Why are they different? And he uses the library as a sort of archetype. And he, um, and he says that at the library, no matter who you are, rich or poor, no matter what color you are, no matter how influential and cool you are, you have a place at the table. You have an equal place at the table. You have equal access to information. And the librarians, this is why they're supposed to be helpful, supposed to be kind, and so this is why um, Carnegie, this is a term from Andrew Carnegie, the um, steel guy. He said, I want to make palaces for the people. And the interesting thing about that is, is that God in the scriptures, when, he, when those themes appear, justice and beauty and fairness and love, those themes are characterizing the kingdom of God. And so in a way, the church ought to be a palace for the people, Right? Like the church community should be a spiritual and physical palace for the people. And that's the law is guiding this pursuit and giving us um, language to see like, whoa, like this is changing our life, our real life. And so this is what I really want you to see is that Christians ought to be placemakers. So if our vocational identity is kingdom of priests, well, what does that mean? Kingdom of priests? We're mediating the presence of God. We're bringing God's kingdom and God's presence to bear on the world through love and through justice and through beauty and through fairness and through equity. Like, if we allow injustice to go on in our households, if we allow um, evil to go on in places that we can bring a light to, that's not Christian piety, right? Like, if your um, spouse was beating your children and you didn't stop it, or say something, and you said, I'm just going to go pray about it. Like, something needs to be done there. That's not obviously an ideal way to live your life, you know? And so, the law guides the way of the people of God, and the interesting thing is, is that I feel like vocation, when we think of vocation, we also, I think we oftentimes think of a career that we love, right? Like, how many of you guys have heard the term vocation and thought, Man, that just means it's a job that I have, like, beer in my lobby, you know? Like, this is awesome. Um, vocation is an entirety of your lifestyle, and God gives you that. So you have a vocation that overarches over all vocations, and Jesus is saying that this is the vocation of love, that you ought to go out and do, like, really love people. And so this, there's a song that I really like that I think captures this idea of vocation as believers in Christ. It says, server, you remind us of our Savior's bowl and towel. Teacher, you are raising up a child to be kind. Lawyer, give us hope that justice one day will surround us. Farmer, you are working for a table full of bounty. Painter, with each color you're teaching us to see. 
Nurse, yours are the healing hands that touch the poor and the broken. Carpenter, you frame a house for those who need protection. Laborer, you lift a heavy burden for the weak. Leaders, build a city that all children may rejoice in. May God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So guys, this is public ministry. Like this is a public way of life. If Jesus is your king, he's king of your whole life. He's king over all of it. And so this touches everything. It's literally got to touch everything. So whether you're like hanging drywall or pulling wire through conduit or giving meals to your kids or running a preschool or a daycare or sharing the explicit gospel of Jesus Christ to your friends, this demonstrates a new world order to people, a new way of living, that Jesus is here, his kingdom has come, is broken through, and is continuing to break through, and that it changes everything. And so, this is illustrative. If you ask yourself and ask other people, what does it mean to be an American? What is the American way of life? And you're going to get all sorts of answers, all sorts of answers. But if you ask Jesus what the way of a Christian is, he will say, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. That is the way of the Christian life. And so there's an old, um, there's an old Celtic phrase used to describe where um, heaven and earth meet. You know, Jesus prays kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Um, Yahweh comes through on the mountain. You know, this is kingdom breaking through. And there's an old Celtic phrase used to describe places where heaven and earth seem to overlap. And it's called a thin place. If you ever heard of that. Thin place. And so what seems to be happening here in the story of Exodus at Mount Sinai is that heaven and earth are overlapping to reveal the rule and the reign of God. And being a kingdom of priests means we're given the vocation of making thin places everywhere. So if you pick up that theme, then you are bringing, by being a kingdom of priests, mediating the presence of God, you're bringing the loving presence of Jesus to all the places that are in your life. So your, <laughs> your Christian task and vocation is to be a placemaker, a thin placemaker. And we do this by loving our neighbor as ourself. So the members of Jesus' kingdom, you can make your dining room table a thin place, right? You can do this by inviting your neighbors over, sharing a meal with them, sharing struggles with them, listening to them. Your workplaces can be a thin place when you refuse to oppress your employees, steal from them, or steal from your coworkers, or to meet their orneriness with orneriness, Right? This can be a thin place. The coffee shop can be a thin place where the kingdom breaks through when you share the gospel with your friends. This side of, <laughs> this side of heaven, we, we are able to bring the reality of God's kingdom to people. This is a privilege. This is a way of life that should be invigorating. The side of the road can be a thin place when you go to a homeless guy and you give him a meal and you hug him and you say, what's your story, man? These are opportunities for us. Our churches can be thin places when they provide belonging to the meek and the lonely and the oppressed and the least of these. I mean, these are, this is a theme all throughout the scriptures, and I feel, like, I feel like our tendency, even as millennials, and a lot of people in here are younger, um, even as millennials is to say, is this social justice? 
Is this the social justice gospel? Are you redefining the vertical relationship between man and God? And I'm saying no. You have to understand that the, the thread of the story of God's salvation is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and then placed to actually do things. Like you're able to go on a life of purpose where you have meaning. And this is tremendously life-giving because it opens up a world of possibilities for life. Jesus says you have an opportunity to live an abundant life as followers of Christ. And so at Sinai, God is giving them a rule and guiding framework for how to live an abundant life. Don't oppress people. Love your neighbor. Pay restitution when it's needed. And so these are things that we can live an embodied life of love. So what I want you to see is that not only are you saved, you're called to the way of love. Jesus isn't just Lord of your heart, though he is. He's not just Lord of your heart in an abstract emotional way. He is Lord of your whole life, your whole marriage, your friendships, your households, your workplace, your city streets, your neighborhood association. These are all places where the kingdom of God can break through, through your loving commitment. And it is your job or vocation to reveal the rule and reign of Jesus through real acts of love. This is how you live within the kingdom of priests and as a holy nation. And so my advice or encouragement to you is to go home and wrestle with the text. Go home and wrestle with the fact that Jesus uses the same exact language as Exodus and Moses, where he gives Moses a promise to make him into a people. And ask yourself, what does it look like for me to be a part of a people that go and bless? Not only are you called to think about how God has saved you and dwell on propositional truth that you find in the scriptures, you're also called to, to overflow with that joy to meet the needs of others, to go out and live a life of self-sacrificial love. And so that is an opportunity for you to find tons of joy and tons of flourishing in life that together we're called for a purpose. And I know that a lot of us as, I know I'll put myself in this category, as a millennial, I struggle with vocation. I struggle with feeling like I have a sense of coherence to my life. Like a sense of, man, this is my lifestyle and it's meaningful and it's purposeful. And I'm saying that God provides that for you. That this is not something, like the tendency what to do with the law is to say that I, I have to do it. Instead of saying I get to do it. Like God wants to make you into a type of people that you live in freedom, that you're freely meeting the needs of others and you're freely sharing life with others, that you're freely restructuring your entire life to live the way of love. And so seeing Jesus and following Jesus as a way rather than an idea will change your whole life. It'll radically jack up with everything that you got going on. And that's a good thing. It's a really good thing. So go home. And think and, and pray and say, how do I follow the law of love in my everyday life? How do I, how do I maybe, instead of stopping at the, at the mailbox and just waving at the neighbor and then going inside like this, maybe just linger. I mean, I heard some cool stories. Um, I had a conversation with the Youngs the other day. And uh, Julie is a stay-at-home mom and homemaker and phenomenal one at that. And she was telling me a story about painting her fence or it was a painting a playhouse playset she's painting a playset and uh one of her neighbors came over to talk to her 
and she was really chatty than Abra was. And Julie was saying how she had to fight the urge to be like, I'm, I'm going to leave this conversation to go back to painting the, the playhouse. And, and what happens in that moment is that you go, okay, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm following his way. His way or his law would be to linger in this conversation to see if I can listen. She doesn't know Jesus. This person doesn't know Jesus, doesn't know the love of God. And so can we take 10 extra minutes to listen to her story so that we can maybe speak life into her life and maybe share more life, having her over for meals. So, I mean, this is why you have to conceive of the, of the life of faith as a way, as a vocation, and the law provides that. And so that may not answer all your questions about the law, about all the individual stuff that's in here, but I, what I want to come through is that God, when he breaks through, when his kingdom breaks through on earth as it is in heaven, he saves his people and provides them with freedom. And then he puts them on a pathway to flourishing. And so you guys are on a vocational way. You're on a journey. And so there's a lot of creative potential for how you can live that out. And so this is what God, I think, is, is speaking to you guys this morning through the law, is that how do you follow the way of Jesus? So um, I'm going to pray for us that we can do that. That not only can we sing about that idea, and praise God for that idea that we can go out into our neighborhoods and communities and live that way. So you join me in prayer.